I'll just start with a few lines from Savitri. When we talk of uh, the four powers and aspects, it's not about, uh, it's not in the sense or spirit of religion. These powers and aspects of the mother reside within our souls. They have come down for a certain work and their labor goes on. There is a little story in one of the Upanishads that when the various forms were being created and uh, their replica or prototype, of course they were not created straight away on earth. And the gods were being asked which form you would like to enter. So one after another forms were presented and they would say no, no, no. But when the human form was presented to them, they chose to enter into this form. <clears throat> we wonder, at least I have wondered, where are they lost? In Savitri there is a line, gods are still too few in human forms. But these gods are powers and respects of the one divine and they have chosen to undertake this great labor, evolutionary journey. We have been constantly reiterating that this, what we see on the surface, form and phenomena and events and circumstances, have behind them the play of powers which we are not aware in our normal waking consciousness. But we can become aware of them if we go into the depths of our own being. This is the inner temple. The whole idea of having temples and churches, etc., etc., is to try to recreate an inner reality symbolically. Of course, very often we are too satisfied with only the outer and forget the inner. But even if all the outer reality is gone, the inner continues to remain. And those of us who wish, who aspire, who are fortunate, who have the faith and seek, they can come in contact with these powers and aspects of divinities which lie hidden within our own being. And at some point of time in our inward and upward evolutionary journey, we come in contact with them. They have had a play and a role in the past. And they have still a role to play in the future till the entire being is molded under the supramental pressure. These are lines from Savitri and these are two passages. Before Savitri comes in contact with her own soul, she meets three different beings or purushas. These are her own soul powers which have been put forth for the work. And she comes in contact with them and each one claims to be her soul and its functions. 
and in this wonderful uh, canto the triple soul forces which i often suggest that everybody should read it because it shows how these powers work and how they can work what they are trying to do in human nature and how our ego distorts both things are there that essentially every for instance take an example of strength strength is a divine power but in the ego when it comes into the cabin of the ego the ego distorts it and perverts it and turns it into my own strength to be used for egoistic purposes same is true of knowledge knowledge is a divine power but when it enters into the mind the mind distorts it and perverts it and turns it for egoistic purposes the same is true of love and here there is a description i'll read just of one of the powers and then we'll go on to something else uh, in finding of the soul these are very long passages so i'll just read about 10 odd lines of how these parts work in the depths of our being and how their distortions are reflected in our ego nature even shobindo describes what kind of thoughts that come just now we were talking of this plastics and all all this is there in shobindo that how knowledge is misused and perverted for certain purposes by the human ego so this is on page 509 for those who may like to read um, later this is a description of one of the parts of the divine the durga aspect the kali aspect which is there within our own soul and when savitri comes in contact with her she is lending these powers to her that you can be one with me and be a great force of change in the world of course savitri goes further but what is the function of this power inside us men hail in my coming the almighty's force or praise with thankful tears his savior grace i smite the titan who bestrides the world and slay the ogre in his blood stained den i am durga goddess of the proud and strong and lakshmi queen of the fair and fortunate i wear the face of kali when i kill i trample the corpses of the demon hordes i am charged by god to do his mighty work uncaring i serve his will who sent me forth reckless of peril and earthly consequence i reason not of virtue and of sin but do the deed he has put into my heart i fear not for the angry frown of heaven i flinch not from the red assault of hell so when the closer we get to the soul and we come in contact with this divinity a spontaneous courage a spontaneous frankness a power of truth a fearlessness begins to move us so this is her effect in the human consciousness and why does she do it i break the ignorant pride of human mind and lead the thought to the wideness of the truth i rend man's narrow and successful life and force his sorrowful eyes to gaze at the sun that he may die to earth 
and live in his soul. So when their action is felt in the surface consciousness, it is felt as something terrible. Because we have to die to the ego if we truly wish to be born in the spirit. This is a fundamental truth. The two don't go together. Now, this same power is captured by the human ego. And how the human ego reacts to this, it turns it into a means for its own use or misuse. So here is few lines how this is misused by man. When human beings are touched by this power, when it turns, comes to the surface consciousness, the ego says, I have grown greater than nature, wiser than God. The same power that liberates the human mind is meant to liberate the human mind from the confines of its narrow limits. The same power, when the ego tries to capture it and make it its slave. That is the whole meaning of the story where Ravana tries to take Sita and capture her and keep within his bounds. So here is, I have made real what she never dreamed. I have seized her powers and harnessed for my work. I have shaped her metals and new metals made. I will be, I will make glass and raiment out of milk. What a foreseeing knowledge is this? Make iron velvet, water unbreakable stone. Like God in his Estues of artist skill, mold from one primal plus protein forms. Shirobindo knew all about cloning and everything. Mold out of one primal plan protein forms in single nature multitudinous lives, all that imagination can conceive in mind intangible, remold and new, in matters. Plastic, solid and concrete. No magic can surpass my magic skill. There is no miracle I shall not achieve. What God imperfect left, I will complete. What he invented not, I shall invent. He was the first creator, I am the last. I have found the atoms from which he built the worlds. The first Tremendous cosmic energy. Mission shall leap to slay my enemy kin. The atom bomb discovery comes <laughs> later. I have tamed the wild beast. He guards my house, looks up, waiting my will. I have taught my kind to serve and to obey. I have used the mystery of the cosmic waves to see far distance and to hear far words. I have conquered space and knitted close all earth. Soon I shall know the secrets of the mind. I shall know mystic truths, seize occult powers. I shall slay my enemies with a look or thought. I shall sense the unspoken feelings of all hearts and see and hear the hidden thoughts of men. When earth is mastered, I shall conquer heaven. 
the gods shall be my aids or menial folk omnipotence and omniscience shall be mine when people used to write to shivindo i mean some people have written that they wanted that this yoga will lead to a supramentalization or superman we will read all this in this little uh, booklet shivindo said it it will lead to megalomania and want of balance the aim of this yoga is not to become a superman or a supramental being that is a consequence the aim of this yoga is to live in the divine consciousness and let the divine consciousness mold our life this these are few things which are so fundamental and so important which we tend to forget and that is why sometimes when i seem to emphasize on faith it appears as if i am bashing up reason reason has its office its limited office and it must become illumined by something which is greater than reason this is how yoga works like all evolution it is from within outwards it is not something from outer within it is from within outwards by a natural opening to the powers and to the power of the divine mother that these influences pour and they begin to remold not only the mind of thought but also will and heart and the body stuff the second reason why reason has to be put in its true place is because it's an integral yoga it's not a yoga of mind alone that a part reason alone cannot reach us to the absolute because by its very nature it's an impossibility it can neither affirm nor deny this is the beauty so when we know it we want to follow another route besides in this yoga there is a participation of the entire being the divine is not just knowledge he is also love ananda beatitude there was such a beautiful expression yesterday of krishna drawing the whole world into his arms he is also power and strength the will that can shake the worlds the will that resides in the atom the will that moves the stars and guides the destiny of man and beast so this in this yoga there is a need to open our entire being not just the mind it's not about simply the intellect something happening out here something happening out here is good maybe a preparation pluffing of this field but if these parts are missed out the yoga itself cannot be complete knowledge itself cannot be complete without love and strength coming forward so this is what shurbindo speaks of in the four respects of the divine mother this uh, we have just taken out this passage and i think everybody can read it subsequently but i'll just read out a few passages of exquisite beauty and tremendous force that how we have to open ourselves and how these powers work within us and how we have to erect an inner temple these are not deities outside we don't have to go to a particular temple to find a certain deity very often we don't find the deity there we find a fat priest <laughs> who is the one who claims the sole propriety over the deity and we must please the priest and if he is happy he'll allow you a little glimpse and give you something that's only a symbol 
that symbol has outlived its purpose we have to find the deity within us four great aspects of the mother four of her leading powers and personalities have stood in front in her guidance of this universe and in her dealings with the terrestrial play the mother has many moods many aspects we often try to limit her into one or the other this aspect or that aspect that she is only wisdom she is only love she is only power but all these aspects are there in her one is her personality of calm wideness and comprehending wisdom and tranquil benignity and inexhaustible compassion another embodies her power of splendid strength and irresistible passion her warrior mood her overwhelming will her impetuous swiftness and world shaking force this is the beauty of reading shurbindo that he makes it alive this is what is called in the vedas is the creative word the word that creates if you read shurbindo really at times when we are reading the passages it is as if that whole thing is coming alive in front of us a third is vivid and sweet and wonderful with her deep secret of beauty and harmony and fine rhythm her intricate and subtle opulence her compelling attraction and captivating grace the fourth is equipped with her close and profound capacity of intimate knowledge and careful flawless work and quiet and exact perfection in all things wisdom strength harmony perfection are there several attributes and it is these powers that they bring with them into the world manifest in a human disguise in their vibhutis so if we really look at the history of the world and the crucial things that changed the the so called human beings whom we worship and sometimes rever adore and put them on pedestal who was behind them if someone has seen that movie on john of arc if one really sees one really feels that it is none else but mahakali who is uh, acting through her speaking through her when all these soldiers they are almost as if half dead they don't have the will and the energy to wake up and fight and one word from her like a lioness and everybody's heart is quickened with an ardor and a strength and a will and they come into the play what is that power that worked in her same if we see uh, both in the west and the east napoleon someone you know people have different ideas and shubindra has this aphorism that i saw the arm of god striding through europe so this is another vision of life there is a vision of life where we look at people only as personalities there is another vision where we can look at humanity as simply instruments of something that works from behind and if we remember that then that becomes much more important and we ourselves can open and become instruments of that grace that majesty that power that wisdom that strength that love that ananda which is concealed in our own depths 
So, how to worship these powers? In tradition, there is a lot of um, invocation and we go to temple and we worship, but that's not what is required. What do they really want from us? What is that state of consciousness that they induce when they come? How are we to recognize even their presence? So, Shurabindu would tell us, Imperial Maheshwari is seated in the wideness above the thinking mind. The thinking mind cannot know her, but the thinking mind can open itself to her light, to her wisdom. One who, for she is the mighty and wise one who opens us to the supramental infinities and the cosmic vastness. Tranquil is she and wonderful, great and calm forever. If we truly want wisdom, the condition is equality, tranquility, calm. The more our minds become still, the more Maheshwari can manifest in her. The more the minds are restless, picking up one book on information to another, going on to net, right throughout the day, searching restlessly, letting things turn here, Maheshwari will find no room to manifest because we are so full of the mental ego. There is a story where a man goes to a great master to get wisdom. So the master treats him over a cup of tea and he calls the disciple and asks him to pour tea. So disciple pours tea and the master doesn't say stop so the disciple, disciple keeps pouring and naturally the tea spills and spills and you know it spills and touches his dress. So finally this man who is a learned professor you know he tells but sir the cup is full. The master says just like you. <laughs> if you don't empty the contents you can't have knowledge. Our cup is not only full, it is turned like this. <laughs> and we expect knowledge to come. You have to turn the cup up. Learn to be patient, to wait, to be equal, to detach ourselves from our own ego understanding of things. We are so much lost in the pride of our understanding. In that poem, who Shurabindo says, we are lost in the pride and the pomp of our passions. We are bound by our thoughts where we hold ourselves free. We think we are thinking, but we are not thinking. We are simply puppets of thoughts that come from universal currents. We don't even know from where they are coming. When we read uh, uh, some of this in <coughs> Shurabindo's uh, Triple Soul Forces, we will be amazed to see how Many thoughts that come to us are whisperings from the abyss. And we simply accept them and think, I am the one who is thinking it. So this is a whole world to explore and the more patient we are, the more tranquil we are, the more calm and open, upturned, empty, waiting to receive, wisdom with all its splendor will rush into our mind. And once Shobindo says, Ah! What a great relief it is when you don't have to think at all. Mother says, she comments on that particular aphorism. She says, it's such a big relief that you just simply, whatever you want to know, concentrate, open and the inspiration comes. 
for anything. It's not only about big divine things. For the smallest details, this can inform us. What a beauty. She says, what a relief that this, all this that goes on churning in the mind. So here is Maheshwari who can give to us if we open. Nothing can move her because all wisdom is in her. Nothing is hidden from her that she chooses to know. So all kind, all knowledge of all kinds of knowledge is within us. She comprehends all things and all beings and their nature and what moves them and the law of the world and its times and how all was and is and must be. This is a story of someone who came to stay in Golkund, wanted to stay and the person had to ask mother, he came to ask mother, mother said no. So he said mother but he is prince of Lanka. Mother says I said no. Mother, but I have already told him, you know, he is Prince of Lanka, he just wants to, you know, spend a couple of nights. Mother said, I have said no. So he asked mother, mother, but but why are you saying no? So mother poked a little bit in his stomach and said, you want to test the divine? <laughs> so he comes down as he is coming out of the ashram building, little distraught that I have to now refuse this man whom he had very cheekily promised. On the other side a man is entering and he asks this person, who is this man who is standing there? Why has he come here? He says, he is Prince of Lanka. He says, no, I am a retired judge and I think this is the man I have convicted three times. How the divine knows? He knows everything. If we really open that knowledge, that foreseeing knowledge can be ours. That's what she's saying. Yet a foreseeing knowledge can be ours if we can take the spirit stand within. And hear the muffled demon's voice. A strength is in her that meets everything and masters and none can prevail in the end against her vast intangible wisdom. Her ways are not ways that as human beings we prefer. Her ways are intangible and high tranquil power, equal, patient and unalterable in her will. She deals with men according to their nature and with things and happenings according to their force and the truth that is in them. The one condition is that we should not be partial. Nothing in terms of a knowledge should be moved by Preferences. Repeatedly the mother says, if you really want to do yoga, get rid of preferences. Simply because I like someone or simply because I like something, simply because I want things to happen in a certain way, therefore they should happen like that. That's not her way. When we become equal and patient, then things are revealed to us according to their nature. Partiality she has none. But she follows the decrees of the Supreme. And some she raises up. And some she casts down or puts away from her into the darkness. In each man she answers and handles the different elements of his nature according to their need and their urge and the return they call for. Puts on them the required pressure or leaves them to their cherished liberty to prosper in the ways of the ignorance or to perish. 
she gives that freedom to all of us. She puts gentle pressure to change, change, change. But there comes a time, if we want to move, we move. And she leaves us free. And yet, Shurubindu tells us, yet has she more than any other the heart of the universal mother, for her compassion is endless and inexhaustible. All are to her eyes her children and portions of the one. Even the Asura and Rakshasa and Pishacha and those that are revolted and hostile. Even her rejections are only a postponements. Even her punishments are a grace. What a new vision if we just read this. The entire vision changes the way we look at life. The divine never punishes anybody. It may look like punishment, but actually it is a grace which is given to us to evolve and grow so that we too can share something of that liberty and vastness. But her compassion does not blind her wisdom or turn her action from the course decreed. For the truth of things is her one concern. There is a person who lives, who once lived in the ashram and one day someone complained something about him to the mother. And mother suddenly took a decision and he said, tell him to leave the ashram and go away. He went and spoke to Lanida, said, actually it is not my fault at all. I am no way concerned. Nalida told him something very interesting. Take it as a grace. Very difficult to take it. Take it as a grace. He went away. After 10 years, he came back. And that's the time he says that yes, it was a grace. There was this necessity. And if we really look from the outer point of view, it's just beyond human comprehension. How the divine works. It's not the way human consciousness wants and understands our human ways of looking at life. For the truth of things is our one concern, knowledge, her center of power, and to build our soul and nature into the divine truth, her mission and her labor. So this is the action of Maheshwari. The other is Mahakali. Terrible is her face to the Asura, dangerous and ruthless her mood against the haters of the divine. For she is the warrior of the world who never shrinks from the battle. Intolerant of imperfection, she deals roughly with all in man that is unwilling and she is severe to all that is obstinately ignorant and obscure. Her wrath is immediate and dire against treachery and falsehood and malignity, ill will is smitten at once by her scourge. When Sahanadi asked Shurbindo that what is the action of Mahakali and does she intervene in our affairs? Shurbindo says very rarely. She intervenes only when she is very intimate with the person and knows that her action will not be taken amiss. Because it requires a tremendous sincerity to bear her action. When she smites, if we take it that it's our ego that is smitten. That's why she is portrayed in the Indian myths as holding a head of skulls. All this pride that resides here. 
she carries with herself she smites but at the same time there is a tremendous love within her action and if one takes it with that spirit with that attitude that mother divine thou hast crushed my ego so that thou can liberate my soul it can be a tremendous grace there are only two ways to meet the divine in this world embrace him the embrace of the lover and the embrace of the wrestler in both cases the ego is gone the difference is when the embrace is the embrace of the lover there is delight with each destruction of each element of the ego we feel free and when he gives the embrace of the wrestler and our bones break then we say ah you hurt you hurt you are a torturer shobinda says in one of his aphorism oh misfortune blessed art thou for through thee i have seen the face of my beloved if thou lovest me strike for if thou strikest me not i would say thou lovest me not this is the spirit of yoga this is the action of the divine when he takes us as intimate it's a whole attitude towards things there is a little story of a mogal empress who was very uh, inwardly a developed mystic she had a glass from uh, a very precious glass bought from china and those were not days when you could just carry things like that <laughs> so what labor it must have taken and she used to love this glass one day while as dasi a uh, maid was cleaning it it broke and it uh, it fell and broke so she is very scared now so she goes and uh, tells mother uh, tells um, this <laughs> this uh, mogal empress that empress i am sorry but that wonderful piece that you had from china that is broken and she is waiting now for the next command <laughs> that get out of my job she says wow what a wonder the one equipment i had to adorn my ego is gone this whole attitude of looking at it in in persian it's very beautiful uh, that shishae chin shikast she says samane khud bini shikast the equipment by which i was only appreciating and admiring myself is gone so mahakali's action from the smallest to the greatest it's a whole attitude that this too is mother very often when we speak of divine we want only a goody goody divine and shurbindu tells us that unless we have the courage to see that aspect of the divine which destroys our ego slays our desire refuses them heavens wiser love rejects the mortal prayer we want only a divine who grants us prayers but divine is more loving when he refuses mother says my child when you ask for something and i say yes it is a grace when i say no it is a greater grace <laughs> so this requires that courage that is the spirit of sadhana indifference negligence and sloth in the divine work she cannot bear and she smites awake at once with sharp pain if need be the untimely slumberer and the loiterer 
very dangerous to turn to divine and loiter around. And now you see what we can do from our side. When, when, when are we really worshipping Mahakali? What is the mantra by which we worship her and invoke her? Shivindu is telling us, the impulses that are swift and straight and frank, the movements that are unreserved and absolute, the aspiration that mounts in flame are the motion of Mahakali. This is the way we worship her. When we are truthful, honest, straightforward, frank, sincere, nothing, concealing nothing before the divine. Mother has said that, that those who are not straightforward, frank, sincere, they are not my disciples. She has made such a statement. And says to these people I can turn, but if you are not having these qualities, how do you expect to speak of divine life? If her anger is dreadful to the hostile and the vehemence of her pressure painful to the weak and timid, she is loved and worshipped by the great, the strong and the noble. For they feel that her blows beat what is rebellious in their material into strength and perfect truth. This is the spirit to adore Mahakali. And then we have the third aspect of the mother, Mahalakshmi. Harmony and beauty of the mind and soul. How do we worship Mahalakshmi, which is the aspect of grace and love and ananda? Harmony and beauty of the mind and the soul. Harmony and beauty of the thoughts and feelings. Harmony and beauty in every outward act and movement. Harmony and beauty of the life and surroundings. This is the demand of Mahalakshmi. So when we make our homes beautiful, our inner thoughts beautiful, our feelings beautiful, nobody will see this. Nobody will know what's going on inside us. Except the divine and our own sincerity. And when we create that field within our own nature, and when we create that field outside us, a field of beauty, harmony, within, outside, full of that love, then spontaneously Mahalakshmi manifests. Where there is affinity to the rhythms of the secret world bliss and response to the call of the all-beautiful and concord and unity and the glad flow of many lives turned towards the divine, in that atmosphere she consents to abide. How to worship her, what flower to be taken, what mantra to be given? Here Shubhinda is telling us, wherever there is in the collectivity, a glad concord to the all-beautiful. It's not about socialization. Where in a group there is a glad concord towards the all-beautiful, spontaneously she enters our hearts and we feel a secret joy. Often people ask how to know, you know, how to read Shurabindo and understand Shurabindo. Frankly, if we are experiencing joy while reading, that means that we are understanding right. And in a group life, any collective life, if there is a feeling of joy, I can of course share what you know some of us were feeling. A sense of happiness. Where is it coming from? It's not coming 
from any of us who is speaking or reading or anything like that. Simply because we are all here and something in us is responding to the touch of the all-beautiful, to the secret rhythms of bliss. Therefore our hearts are opening and filling with that joy. But all that is ugly and mean and base, not only outside, but even more important inside, our house is very unclean. All that is ugly and mean and base, all that is poor and sordid and squalid, all that is brutal and coarse repels her advent. Where love and beauty are not or are reluctant to be born, she does not come. Where there are mixed and disfigured with baser things, she turns soon to depart or cares little to pour her riches. This is the inner riches that she pours. If she finds herself in men's heart surrounded with selfishness and hatred and jealousy and malignance, and envy and strife. If treachery and greed and ingratitude are mixed in the sacred chalice, if grossness of passion and unrefined desire degrade devotion, in such hearts the gracious and beautiful goddess will not linger. Such is a demand. This is the temple that we have to make ready. How to make it ready? We have to constantly pluck out of our grey matter all the thoughts that are ugly, sordid, full of jealousy, envy, egoistic thoughts, full of treachery, of strife, greed, ingratitude. When these things are there, when passions are gross and crude, what does she do? She does not linger. A divine disgust seizes upon her and she withdraws. For she is not one who insists or strives. She waits for this bitter and poisonous devil stuff to be rejected and disappear. This is how she waits. That all this crudeness and grossness must be out. Then she can enter into the temple. And another very interesting thing Shubhinda is telling us. Ascetic bareness and harshness are not pleasing to her. So this is not a yoga where one deliberately you know, stays hungry for 10 days, tortures the body, sleeps on the floor, on a single mat, puts brick under the head. It's not a yoga like that. Mahalakshmi will just disappear. If that is the kind of, this is not a yoga of ascetic harshness and bareness. Some people believe that the sign of yoga is, the lesser clothes you wear, the greater the yogi. <laughs> And there is a joke about it that in India there is a whole sect which remains like this, you know, all nude fashion show. <laughs> so, <laughs> so when they came to Delhi ashram, this man is so finicky that he will not even put his foot on the ground. So his disciples were putting, you know, some natural leaves, so he would place one foot, then the other leaf and another foot. So when he went and gave a talk on detachment. <laughs> So at the end of it, our inimitable <laughs> Georgie, he had a very interesting observation to make. He said, you really gave a very nice talk on detachment and all that was very good, but uh, I am a little surprised to see your attachment to the detachment. 
one can be so attached to detachment. So this kind of ascetic bareness and harshness she does not like. Nor the suppression of the heart's deeper emotions. Look what a beautiful yoga. It's a yoga where rasa, we need not crush the heart and its deeper feelings, its refined emotions. It's not a yoga where we are expected to close our hearts, keep a grim face and the more serious you are, the greater the yogi. <laughs> Shobhita had such a wonderful sense of humor and with so much love he could express in such human ways. There was this lady called Mridu, fat and round, who would make food for Shurabindo. Some of them were making food for Shurabindo. And one day she made food. The only sadhana she knew was, she was very angry, stubborn and everything. But you know, she would naturally even make food, she would make with so much love. And she sent food. And well, Shurabindo would usually just taste a little bit and you know, the other disciples would have a chance. But Shurabindo didn't take that food that day preoccupied with other things. So someone told that Shurabindo did not take the food that you sent. So she got very angry. She sent a suicide note. I am going to commit suicide. I made with so much love and you did not accept. Now imagine Shurabindo is not giving her a lecture on philosophy that you should not be attached and all this. He's not doing that. You are in yoga, what is food, what is this? Instead he writes a one line beautiful touching letter. He says, Mridu, if you commit suicide, who will make such lovely luchis for me? <laughs> what a ananda. Luchis are a form of puri, you know, made of maida. In Bengal it's very famous. What, what refined love. When somebody would go, Shabindu would, how he would say, I have cherished you as a son. Even still, if you want to go, I will not stop you. What a refined love. And with many, many instances of mother and Shabindu, with Huta, how she has poured that heart of love. In fact, in synthesis of yoga, Shabindu says that when we relate to the divine as the mother, the indulgent love of the divine as mother and the soul goes to her in all its difficulties, trials and tribulations and the mother likes it that it be so, so that she can pour her heart of love onto her children. So on one side Mahakali who in one moment can liberate us from the ego if we want. <laughs> Most of us are scared. <laughs> Mother, keep this. Even somebody like Arjuna, when he saw Krishna on the battlefield, he says, who are you? I have been moving around with you, joking, having fun, going to all kinds of places. Who are you? This is terrible. He says, I am time the destroyer. What have you come here for? Oh, I have come to destroy all these. So Krishna, Arjuna, the great warrior, begins to shake. He says, please show me your milder version. <laughs> this is too much. So Krishna comes back into the form of Vishnu, the benign, the milder version and then he is able to bear. So Mahakali is difficult to bear. But I must tell you, intense is her love. But Mahalakshmi is here. But Mahalakshmi's demand is there on nature. 
she will not come if we don't appreciate beauty she will not come if we crush the heart's emotions she will not come if we just suppress all this inside or make it crude and gross full of jealousy treachery envy plot and plan this is to be done against this person or that person she will not come like that she is very loving very caring but we have to create the field inner and outer field then she comes and consents and makes us her instruments and her channels and her vessels so this is mahalakshmi it is through love and beauty that she lays on men the yoke of the divine life is turned in her supreme creations into a rich work of celestial art and all existence into a poem of sacred delight is she cannot can she be reconciled to wisdom look what shubhendra is telling us admitted to the heart she lifts wisdom to pinnacles of wonder we often think that love is not reconcilable with knowledge but maheshwari and mahalakshmi can work together mahakali maheshwari mahalakshmi can work together and when they work together she lifts wisdoms to pinnacles of wonder and reveals to it the mystic secrets of the ecstasy that surpasses all knowledge what is the end of knowledge the feet from which bliss flows into this world those who have had the knowledge know that the end of knowledge awaits the sheer delight of the all blissful for this one moment lived the ages past the world now throbs fulfilled in me at last shivendra's poem krishna at last i find a meaning of the soul's birth into this universe terrible and sweet i who have felt the hungry heart of earth aspiring beyond heaven to krishna's feet so when mahalakshmi works with maheshwari she does not stop us with knowledge what is knowledge worth nothing she lifts it to those wonders and pinnacles of beauty and ananda and finally the youngest of the four mahasaraswati the mother's power of work and her spirit of perfection and order she is the most skillful in executive faculty and the nearest to physical nature maheshwari lays down the large lines of the world forces mahakali drives their energy and impetus mahalakshmi discovers their rhythms and measures but mahasaraswati presides over the detail of organization and execution relation of parts and effective combination of forces and unfailing exactitude of result and fulfillment there are people in the ashram to whom mother has taught how to wipe the plates it may sound amazing what has that got to do with yoga and that was one of my first lessons when first i came to ashram and worked for about a month or so i was given work in the dining room with the pride of being a neuropsychiatrist i went and stood by the side of an ignorant man but when i lifted the plate he pointed out my ignorance he said this is not the way to hold the plate forget about cleaning it <laughs> and in one go he lifted 10 plates i was amazed and it was like an art i still remember that scene i felt that he, this is not a man this is an artist dealing with plates 
The water was dirty because plates were clean and he just picked them out and there was music. I mean, it's really an experience embedded in my whole uh, mind. There was music and art in the way he lifted the plate. And I tried and tried well. It took a long time and still that perfection doesn't come. The another lesson was when I joined marbling department, I was taught by uh, Mani Ben, who, is, who was trained by Moradi, how to open the door. Lesson in sadhana. Young entrant to the ashram, very happy. Now I am an ashramite, I will do sadhana. Every day I will sit in meditation with this mantra and do japa. So first day I have landed up for my, you know, recruitment training. And she taught me how to open the door. How to pick up the vases and clean the base and then keep it by the side of mother. Mother's picture in this way. I had gone with all this pride. I can arrange flowers. She told me this is not the way to arrange flowers. In every small detail. And she told me something very interesting. Mona who looked after Golkund. And mother trusted us so much. Golkund is a work where perfect organization. Even till date I think how many 50-60 years have passed. And you just... Gently pull the lever and the window opens. I mean, it's amazing. So one day, Mani Ben was finishing her work at five and she was going back. So she told Mona that I have to leave a little early. And Mona asked her, have you finished everything? She said, just a little bit is left. I'll do it tomorrow. She said, no. You must finish your work in such a way that if mother were to come at this point of time, then everything is ready. The same, they say of Mother Panditji that if mother asked for something, within five minutes, he knew where the file is, where the things are, would just pull out from his drawer and present it. Champaklal. Even bits and pieces, of course, the love and the Mahasaraswati aspect, which mother would tear and throw away, which she has written, he would preserve and keep it. And once mother just tore away a letter and threw away, and later on, she says, Oh, I wish I had not torn it. Champaklal immediately brings back. <laughs> and puts them together. I mean, what a perfection. There is something that we go to ashram, we see. This is worship. This is sadhana. Sadhana is not just, you know, doing a bhajan and sitting and going into trance of sleep. <laughs> that is the easiest part or giving big lectures or small lectures and debating intellectually whether God exists or not we don't even know about our existence <laughs> there was a doctor who once declared to a patient that you have just about you know maybe maximum two more years to live this patient lived on for 15 years and the doctor died before him <laughs> so you know, let's come down to ground level, basics. The basics of sadhana is when we do our work with perfection, with a sense of beauty, joy, love, dedication, sincerity, straightforward, frank. We are not here to please anyone but the divine. And with an opening towards the mother, sadhana is done for us. This is something which one learns in the ashram by example. Not by, nobody gives lecture there on sadhana. Lectures are only outside. In fact, if you, if they come to know you are giving lectures, you are looked down upon. It's a very strange ashram. 
people don't appreciate you. Oh, this man, he just goes out and gives lectures. So, you know, you have to hide your face if you know. It's not a compliment to give lectures outside. But within its work in action, its sadhana in action. What a beautiful way. If you go to the gym, it's one of the best playground, PD department one can ever conceive. In military, I've seen so many gyms and playgrounds and military is like, you know, such a neat and perfect place where everything standing must be painted this color and everything moving must be painted this color. There is a joke about it that everything standing must be in Gerwa and everything moving you must salute. <laughs> and when I went to playground, I felt ashamed that all that I thought is good, here was something so neat, perfect, every exercise, every muscle, when you pick up this small equipment and you do this, then what happens to which muscle, how much duration you should do it, how you should expand, everything is there. I mean, I'm amazed. What an order and perfection. The swimming pool, you can literally, you know, comb your hairs and everything, you know, looking into the water. <laughs> and how they maintain it? This is the sadhana that is done in the ashram. So, this is the kind of thing she is teaching us. The science and craft and technique of things are Mahasaraswati's province. Always she holds in her nature and can give to those whom she has chosen the intimate and precise knowledge. Maheshwari gives the overview. Saraswati, Mahasaraswati gives the details. She fills in the details. All this working of the heart and lungs and this instrumentation is Mahasaraswati's work. That's why this is a machine that works so long and only when its purpose is over that, you know, it can go away. The subtlety and patience the accuracy of intuitive mind and conscious hand and discerning eye of the perfect worker. Someone went to ashram and he lost his key. So he uh, went, there was a department where you could get the key made for the suitcase and he went to the department and uh, he said, okay, come back within half an hour and I'll make the key. He came back 15-20 uh, minutes later, one key was ready, he was making another. So he said, no, no, I don't need uh, the duplicate. He said, I'm not making for you. Mother has asked me to make two sets of keys and I'm going to do that. It's not for you. If you lose this key, you must have another. Look at such small things. The power, this power is the strong, the tireless, the careful and efficient builder, organizer, administrator, technician, artisan and classifier of the worlds. When she takes up the transformation and new building of the nature, her action is laborious and minute and often seems to our impatience slow and interminable. But it is persistent, integral and flawless. Many times that's why we in our haste want things to happen quickly. Mahasaraswati will not allow. One small problem in nature and you have to confront it a hundred thousand times because she is tireless. She will show us again and again. There is a problem. There is a problem. You want to close your eyes? She will open the eyes. Look here is a problem. So this is how she works. Nothing is too small or apparently trivial for her attention. Nothing, however impalpable or disguised or latent can escape her. 
Mother has taught all these things by practical example. Nothing is too small. Even she has picked up his little small toffee wrapper thrown on the floor and picked up and walked all the way to throw it into the dustbin. Nothing is small or trivial. That I am the divine living in that supreme consciousness. <coughs> what does it matter? The smallest details. When we do that, we are actually in a way worshipping Mahasaraswati. Molding and remolding, the la she labors each part till it has attained its true form. Carelessness and negligence and indolence she abhors. She doesn't like that. If we really want to worship her and serve her, we shouldn't be careless and negligent in what we are doing. All scammed and hasty and shuffling work, all clumsiness and misfire, all false adaptation and misuse of instruments. You know, this is, in India it's very common. You want to fix a nail, you don't have the hammer, pick up a stone and start hammering your own head, hand. She doesn't like it. Everything should be just what is necessary for that particular work. That is the worship of Mahasaraswati. And leaving of things undone or half done is offensive and foreign to her temper. Oh, I'll do it tomorrow. All the things are scattered. It doesn't matter. No. Everything should be done with that. When a work is finished, nothing has been forgotten. Therefore, of all the mother's powers, she is the most long-suffering with man and his thousand imperfections. She knows it takes time. <laughs> Mahakali will break. <laughs> Don't care. Maheshwari, seeing decision made. Mahalakshmi accepted or she goes behind. Mahasaraswati will labor, labor, labor. She will not leave. Yet, what should be our attitude? Kind, smiling, close and helpful, not easily turned away or discouraged, insistent even after repeated failure. Her hand sustains our every step on condition. Now she has a condition. She will be patient. She will. Mother says in one of her places, if you are sincere, I can wipe away your mistakes a thousand times. But those who are not sincere, I can do nothing about them. So here the condition for Mahasaraswati is on condition that we are single in our will and straightforward and sincere. For a double mind she will not tolerate and a revealing irony is merciless to drama and histrionics and self-deceit and pretense. She comes from truth. If we try to put on a show and sham, she will rip off the mask. That she doesn't like. If we keep offering, keep opening, mother I have this problem, I have this defect, she will labor 10,000 times and she will never go away. But if we say, mother I am so good, so nice, so wonderful, everybody else is bad, then she will say, oh that's what you believe? Come. I'll show you. Histrionics, pretense, drama. Now we'll stop with this powerful 
mantra to meditate upon a mother to our wants a friend in our difficulties a persistent and tranquil counselor and mentor chasing away with a radiant smile the clouds of gloom and fretfulness and depression reminding always of the ever present help pointing to the eternal sunshine she is firm quiet and persevering in the deep and continuous arch that drives us towards the integrality of the higher nature yes much more sunshine inside <laughs> i used to use this uh, earlier uh, praying to her that mother my nature is full of difficulties and defects and i don't have the strength to clean it and not even the wisdom to know so we used to work in a center so every time i would clean the floor and clean the photographs i would say this that this i can do this is easy i will do this you do the other part the inner cleaning part <laughs> and actually later on i came to know that the mother told dhuman bai that you do my work i'll do your work so when we do it in that spirit she does the inner work what a nice sadhana <laughs> cleaning the switchboards can be sadhana imagine i mean really it's unimaginable yes my like is this the the current age the age of masters here yes uh, the from the point of view of the four ages kaliyuga or the iron age is actually the age of mahasaraswati that's why she goes into all the details of the material organization but now of course all these powers come together because they have worked and humanity is being turned toward the supramental consciousness so now all the four have to have a combined action we should be to tell us later but kaliyug otherwise the age rather we are leaving behind is the age of mahasaraswati and her labor is complete that's why now people have at the material level done utmost that was possible now they are turning for something else something more something greater
Yes, the one. Yes, there was a correlation, and the the varnavastha of the. In fact, in the story itself, it is there that how the four varnas were created, the Brahmin, Shatriya, Vaishya, and Shudra, were created from the body of the Supreme Purusha. So, out of the feet came Shudra, out of the thighs and the belly came the Vaishya, out of the chest and the arms came Shatriya, and from the head came the Brahmins. And Shobindo has something very beautiful to say. Now, because this one of us has been broken, now what has to come is the integrality of all these. So the new being will be neither Brahmin, Vaishya, Shatriya, or Shudriya, but all of them has to be there. And I'll just uh, read this. is very beautiful that you know this new type which is coming. A glad and strong and helpful submission is demanded to the working of the divine force. The obedience of the illumined disciple of the truth, of the inner warrior who fights against obscurity and falsehood, of the faithful servant of the divine. So now we are uh, into a new consciousness where all the four types, they, they were for a time separated into separate groups because this is how the powers had to work. They reached their utmost and then these types have exploded. Time has broken them. So now there is a free mixture of all the types because a new type has to be created out of that material. So now everyone can simultaneously or should simultaneously be integral in his development. But at one time, this is how they worked. Yes. So the Varna was only in India, right? Or it was everywhere. Even now it exists. Yes. Here. The terms were different. For instance, when you divide the four classes into professionals, industrialists or politicians and statesmen, the warriors or the knights and the workers and laborers, it is Varnavastha. Only thing is in India, it was given a deep spiritual meaning because in India everything was linked to the spirit and seen from that angle but in a way it was everywhere because this was the secret truth of human nature that it evolves through stages so evolution is like that we start with the physicality then we start with the you know vitality then we start with something like a higher vital and then we enter into the mental stage of evolution so it was there everywhere people caught this in one way or the other this glimpse but in India, like everything, like dance, you know, every music, everything was linked to the divine and the spirit. So, in India, it was given that form. But it existed everywhere. Even breeding true to type and all this was there. The kings and the knights, the skull of the samurai. And everywhere it started breaking down. The priestly class, for instance, both in India as well as outside, they started breaking down because the pride went into their head. That because I am priest, man is incomplete without me. And nobody can approach God without me. So now not only the priest classes are going, of course they are surviving as a dwindling species. <laughs> and 
also the temples churches all these are breaking down because now we have to discover that truth inside the unfortunate part is many times we throw the baby with the bath water so when this movement came where all religion philosophy and all the paradigms they had to break down we many time you know even wanted to throw away the very idea of god and divine along with it that is stupid only it must be recreated inside that was a symbol it must be recreated inside us so for what you saying about the role of brahmin or priest and all that what is so significant about them doing certain ritual or uh, like why they are so rigid that we have to have brahmin to do the katha or they yeah because they want to un Yeah. If Brahmins don't do it, the problem will be that a whole class of society will die of hunger. <laughs> And many people who have lot of money will feel, you know, upset because you know when you give money to a Brahmin, it is better than giving to. <laughs> I am just joking. What I am saying is that. <laughs> But if you really go into the ancient system, it was built very differently. I'll tell you how it was. For instance, the rules. of the game and life changed as you grew higher in the varnavastha so brahmin was the most respected but the rules on the brahmin were far more stringent for instance the brahmin could not marry twice kshatriya could brahmin could not drink uh, liquor he could not eat meat he was not supposed to do eat meat and what is worse he was worse well good he was not supposed to live for earning a livelihood so how he was maintained he was maintained by the state and by the vaishya and the kshatriya because the brahmin was a seeker after knowledge so he was not supposed to you know you can't seek knowledge if you are all the time busy struggling for a survival so it was taken care of but kshatriya the rules were different the shudra could eat drink and be happy they had to be perfect in their work so if we go to the original system one did you know he was definitely a class it was a class which deserved a kind of reverence but this is far back times now of course the brahmins do all kinds of things i had my own brush once in uh, gujarat when i went to this kerali this temple around the shores of narmada and people told me that this is the place you know where shrubindo had the vision of uh, the world mother gazing at kali when i went there is a little spot where they have put the photograph of kali and it was so horribly managed and mother and shobindo's pictures were absolutely full of all kinds of cobweb i really got very angry and straight barged into the priest's room and this priest was sitting like a boss on a cot and watching tv some show <laughs> i got very annoyed and i told him is this the way you keep the temple and then you know people drag me out that you know i said what nonsense then i took the photograph i told them that look some good photograph should come and properly it should be done and look at how the forces work you know i was really in a uh, furious seeing this it was kali's temple and suddenly i was, i mean it was not kali's temple but that kali image was there and as i was going suddenly some force it just pushed me and i fell like this on the floor but the beauty not a scratch not a simple not a single feeling of anything i got up walked on both the feet and everything was delightful but yes i mean the priest as a class took their thing for granted and is good they have gone we don't need pandas whether in and thankfully especially in this yoga we don't need middlemen 
let me emphasize it on record. Mother and Shurabindo are sufficient and capable by themselves. So any of us when we come for talks and all, please don't treat us like pandas. <laughs> we are not. Yeah. Uh, sometime back somebody, uh, my father died and that's why I have to give hundred Brahmin food. Somebody asked Sri Aravindu. Sri Aravindu said, in the dining hall everybody is Brahmin. Yes. Mother has also said this to Huta. All my, no child of mine is a zero. Once she has said this. Second she says, all my children are Brahmins. So next time, if you need to pray, don't call the traditional Brahmin, call one of us. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> yeah, we are all seekers after all, you know. But you know, the problem is that human beings, they are still, you know, scared that, you know, God will be angry and this is not good. So because of that, we end up doing certain things. Partly because of the fear which is still there in the collective unconscious. But really it doesn't matter. <laughs>